Welcome, everyone, to an Eight of Strange episode. <laughs> right on. Yeah. Right on. It's good to be back, brother. Is uh, it? Uh, last time I was here was, uh, what, this past spring? Uh, yeah, I think early April. Yeah. It's been a while. What have you been up to, buddy? Oh, you know, living the dream. We've got uh, 40 episodes under our belts now. 40 so. episodes. Yeah. I usually get to, no matter what mm-hmm. show I do, I get to episode 25 and something catastrophic happens. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I've done, I've done maybe three, four different types of podcasts. Mm-hmm. Get around episode 25. Crashes and burns. Wow. Eats shit. <laughs> so that's a good sign for us, then. We've made it over that hump. Oh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that uh, 25 episode hump is a, that's a nut buster. All right. Once you pass there, it's just, you'll be, you'll be Joe Rogan numbers in no time. Okay, sweet. <laughs> episode 6,000. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get that Kevin Strange bump again tonight for our viewers, so that'll be good. Well, that's cool. That's yeah. cool. I don't know uh, why people like listening to me, uh, you know. Say my say my business, but people seem to like it. So oh yeah, you got the following. I guess so. I've been doing this fifteen years. I better have at least a little bit of following, man. <laughs> you would hope, yeah. Grinded it. I'm tired, buddy. I've been. Uh, I always try to prepare myself for the promotional period of a new um, of a new project. I'm doing. Uh, I'm releasing Dead Shit, the comic book, the complete uh, miniseries. Yeah. Uh, we we just launched the um, Indiegogo campaign last week. Or. We launched it on the 17th of September, so however okay. long ago that was, I don't know how long Yeah, that was. like a week and a half, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, and I uh, I actually have a lot of really really weird stuff to talk about. I don't even know if you know what's happened to me over the last couple of months. No, not really. So my plan was to launch this. Do we need to do any more no, no, introduction? No, go for it. My name's Kevin Strange. Okay, I, yeah. I created Hack Movies. Uh, Andrew was my, uh, he was one of my actors. Yep. Uh, we, 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 uh, we, we, we performed a lot of um uh, fun business together and uh andrew was i believe we spoke last time if, if uh you're going to link to the previous episode mm-hmm. we talk uh at length about um the uh how invaluable you were on the colonel kill production oh, we did sure. our, our feature film colonel kill we actually shot many of the scenes in your house yeah and you were one of the key uh elements of the of the film you were one of the main um it's an ensemble cast. Mm-hmm. You're one of the main main players in the cast. Yeah, the leader of the the D and D group. Yeah. So um, so that's how I know Andrew, and and we've kept in touch all these years. And um, you know, if there's ever going to be another uh, movie project, uh, Andrew's going to be one of my uh, you know first phone calls that I make to uh, to get back. Quite honored, the, man. I would do it in a heartbeat. Yeah. So well, it you know it makes me sad that uh, I don't know what happened during that later era. In uh, Stiff Jobs, uh, Cockhammer, and mm-hmm. um, Smoke Christmas, I don't. Where were you, buddy? So where part of you? it, uh, I was actually that was one of the things I was meaning to talk about is uh, after that last episode that you did uh, back in April, uh, our buddy Justin Zabel, listened to it and was reaching out to me, and he reminded me that originally you were saying that you had something written for the two of us as like a, a buddy thing, like we would be a, a, a co-team in one of those movies or something like that for a, a bit part and then he ended up having to move out to new jersey or california with a show place you know what i bet you guys were the original wolfram and wingate you think so i have a vague recollection i mean we're talking stuff 10 years 10 yeah, years yeah. old and, and i know a lot of people and, and went through a lot of uh Dang. You know, cast, casting <laughs> uh, casting choices but i want to say you guys were the two actors i had in mind when i wrote the original stiff job script i think it was going to be you two oh, that played uh wolfman wingate that would then go on to be in uh cockhammer and, yeah. and it was either 
maybe because Justin moved or mm-hmm. something, or maybe it was because um, I'm trying to think of. So the guy that um, Thaddeus Starbuckle and David Wayne Black, they had uh, they had both had roles in previous films, mm-hmm. and it may have just been a, a situation where that like I'm I have a short attention span, so it might have been like oh there's a shiny thing over there, and yeah. I ended up giving them the script, and they ended up being those characters. But I want to say I can't say with one hundred percent certainty, yeah. but I believe you two were set to be Wolfram and Wingate in those movies, wow. and then I don't know why I didn't find you an alternative role there were a lot of roles in those movies i don't know why you never got that phone call i can't remember why it was certainly nothing against you okay um no no certainly not (laughs) i I enjoyed working with you immensely in fact i recently put together a trailer uh, a little uh, clip video on Mm -hmm. my youtube channel youtube.com slash kevin strange called the legacy of strangeville which is kind of trying to explain really the the um, the importance to me and the importance to the fans of the movies, uh, what it really means to be doing a comic book series, bringing all these characters back to life. And so right. what it is, is it's sort of, I narrate over a lot of footage of the movies to try to give people that maybe maybe aren't familiar with the films uh, some context into what the, these comic books didn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah, I didn't yeah. just write down. These characters didn't come out yeah, of nowhere. Yeah, they didn't yeah. just come out of nowhere. These are... These are, you know, characters that have been around for uh, more than a decade, a decade and a half, mm-hmm. and they mean a lot to a lot of people. And uh, when I put that that trailer reel together, you're in it a lot. I, I actually texted you and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, buddy, you're gonna see yourself a lot in this uh, in this video." And it and it was one of those moments where I was like, "I don't understand why Andrew didn't end up in more of those uh, yeah. later movies because I loved working with you in those." You know those. Uh, you're you're very cinema. You have a very cinematic presence. Well, thank you. I really. You know. You, you shoot well. Some people don't shoot well. Some people. You know. They look smaller. Or they look fatter. Or they look uglier. Or they look. Uh, you know. Th- you wouldn't think so. But even radio. Even when you put your. Even when you put your voice to. Uh, uh, you know. When you record your voice and listen back to it, mm-hmm. it's not exactly like it is when you hear no, it in reality. It definitely isn't. Yeah. And uh, and some people's personalities change. Some people like I've done enough live. Ra- I mean, we're doing a recorded podcast. I do so many live podcasts and video casts and everything that I, I don't I mean I just you flip the switch and I'm the same guy yeah I don't change it, it really at all maybe my inflections might get a little more dramatic uh, when I know I'm on quote unquote mm. on but I'm the same dude but some people the minute you turn a camera on they're a different completely different person they just don't they don't act the same they don't talk the same they just completely turn into a different thing and Sometimes that's a good thing, and sometimes it's a bad thing. And because <laughs> yeah. sometimes as a as a director or a casting person, when you're working on a, a video project or a movie, a film project, you can see something in an in an actor. You can see something in a in a person you're thinking about casting as an actor that just doesn't translate. That just doesn't work once you get them on on uh, on camera. And uh, you were one of those guys that is actually the opposite, because we knew each other on a friendly basis in real life oh, for and, sure, yeah. and you're just a you're just a guy you're just a humble dude and fun to talk to and and, and a, 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 a very tall man mm-hmm. but it but a lot of times we'd be sitting down when we were talking so that, that that height didn't really your your presence as a person didn't um it didn't it didn't occur to me until i started putting you on film once I started putting you on film and you were standing next to other actors and I had to actually make camera angle choices mm-hmm. because of how tall you were and stuff, <laughs> then it re- then your your presence, the really uniqueness of your presence uh, really started to shine through. And again, right. it's a disappointment to me that I didn't put you in more features because of that fact that when I put a camera on you, you have a, a you have a strong film presence, I guess. All yeah. that is to say you had a strong film presence and I wish I would have put you in more movies. Well, 
I appreciate it. That actually, when you bring up that point, it was one of the, actually the first things you said to me on Dead Shit. Whenever I was in the zombie makeup and getting ready to attack you guys, like holy shit, like we have we have to change everything we were thinking here because you were so big. Yeah, yeah. And in the in the comic book, I, there was a, there's a total homage to that scene, and we may have gone over this before in the previous podcast. But uh, not much, I think. We were trying to keep spoilers to a limited amount since people hadn't really seen the comic too much yet. So, so, uh, so it's a three issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. The first issue we uh, crowdfunded on Indiegogo back in the spring in uh, March April. Yep. And uh, you now, nailed the goal on that one, right? What's that? You nailed the goal on that. Oh yeah, one, we yeah. we we far uh, exceeded the goal. I think we made like almost twelve hundred dollars online, and then I, I made a, a bunch in just like hand to hand sales. Oh nice! Um, out in the real out in the flesh world, uh, on top of that, so we made around fifteen hundred dollars on that first issue, uh, and the goal we were going for on Indiegogo was only five hundred bucks. Oh perfect! And uh, so same thing this time around. We now have all three issues. Mm-hmm. So um, issue one is thirty two pages. Issue two is thirty six pages, and issue three is a double size fifty two page. Uh, issue which brings um, the total of the miniseries uh, up to 120 full color uh, pages and uh, each issue um, issue one on the Indiegogo is uh, $8 issue two is $8 issue three is $10 or you can get the bet the best you can buy them individually Mm -hmm. there's a bunch of little uh, there's a bunch of different tiers there are things that you can do where you can uh, you can get a you can buy into a tier that gives you all the comic books and a uh, like a shout out video shout out from Nixon and Hogan, oh, nice. which was really popular the the last um, the last campaign oh, and yeah. and me and uh, Josh who plays I play Hogan in the movies and uh, and my friend Josh plays uh, Nixon we hadn't touched those roles those characters in uh, a decade and people often often try to get me to do Hogan. Oh, just the uh, voice. Hogan impression. Yeah. Like the face, face, the voice, and the facial tics and everything. Mm-hmm. And I always tell them, like, the dangly fingers. Yeah. It's such a, like, I can't just, like, it's not funny if I just do it. Like, that's not, they think it's going to be funny, but if I do it, it's it's not, it's just going to disappoint. So I, I always say, no, you just watch, watch the movies. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. not, that's not the type of character. It would be like somebody uh, telling, um, Telling like a Billy Bob Thornton to do Sling Blade. Yeah, it's that's like, not that's, a casual conversation it's not a, thing. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 not. This is a real work script that we we had specific yeah. things he wanted to say. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, Hogan works because in the context of the film, he's a complete spazzy, uh, 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 mentally deranged maniac, mm-hmm. and he plays off of Nixon, and it's a whole thing. It's a whole theatrical uh, Laurel and Hardy, Abbott and Costello. Um, who are the two uh, the two stoners? I can't. Why can't I think of the the two? Jay and Silent Bob. The other stoners. <laughs> Cheech and Chong. Cheech and Chong. Okay. Yeah, it's like a you know all those and there have been there have been you know stoner duos through and the, the early ones weren't stoners obviously the mm-hmm. Abbott and Costello and Laurel Hardy and all those guys that we were, know of. Yeah. Well, they didn't play those characters. Okay. Well, those yeah. characters didn't do drugs on screen. Okay. The way that eventually evolved into with uh, Cheech and Chong and then Jay and Silent Bob and those <clears throat> types of duos that eventually became you know stoner characters. Nixon and Hogan is a take on it's a horror. Take take on that um stoner duo and so um you know just just reciting a line in the character just isn't it doesn't have the magic that it does if you experience the film so i would always tell people no i don't want to do that and it wasn't a pretentious thing it wasn't me uh you know being like i'm above that yeah it's just that uh that i knew it i knew it doesn't i knew it wouldn't work they wouldn't it would disappoint them they wouldn't uh, like the result and uh so uh, in effect i hadn't i hadn't uh, been um, in the in character as Hogan or done the Hogan voice or face or anything in more than 10 years and Josh was the same way with, with Nixon he was like I don't know if we can even do this and I was like I'm, I, I was like I promise you as soon as we turn the camera on it's just gonna be like magic and those um, I think we ended up doing like five or six of the um, 
personalized uh, little video messages oh, yeah. to, to fans that bought in at that tier. And those videos are so funny. Um, in one of them, I don't want to ruin this guy's, uh, you know, this is a special, it was yeah, a, a personal, was a special thing. thing, a personal thing for him. But um, in, in one of them, uh, uh, just, just one bit from one of the videos. And each video was about uh, a minute to 90 seconds long. We kept it really, really short. Okay. And it was just look at Nixon and Hogan looking directly in the camera. Mm. The, the bit was they knew that they were giving a special thanks. Okay. But they're so inept and stupid that they kept messing it up. And in one of the... <laughs> In one of them, I I ad libbed. Hogan is like, uh, he's like, uh, I get, I go, I go blind when I'm nervous, <laughs> and he couldn't read the, he couldn't read the, the because I kept cue cards. Yeah, yeah. The, I, I pretended like they had cue cards in front of them, and they were supposed to be reading off of it. And Hogan goes temporarily blind <laughs> while he's trying to read it, and Nixon has to read it, and Nixon can't read because he's dyslexic. So one of them is blind, and one of them's dyslexic, and it was, dude, it was so much fun, and we were just doing little one minute videos of those characters but that that's how you know that's how important those characters are to me and to and to those those who got to experience uh, uh those characters and so that's a tier you can buy into again okay. I, I said i want to do this again i want to i want to make sure that people have this opportunity to do the uh to do the special um, video shout out again because it was so yeah. so much fun and we did fall right back into character and it, that's awesome. and it was no and uh, you know the thing that i always tell josh is he's not an actor he's just one of my friends he's one of my oldest friends we've been friends since we were uh 12 13 14 years old oh seriously and, okay uh, yeah <clears throat> and uh, we grew up together on the same same block his his family actually lived across the street from my family when we were uh, when I was like five, six years old, oh. but I didn't know him until a little bit later than that. I don't think he lived with them at the, at the time. I think he, he moved um, uh, uh, five or six years later. He moved to the neighborhood. I had moved out of the neighborhood by then, but close by. So I st- so we ended up meeting each other, but we met each other and I was like, Hey man, you're the, you live in the house across the street from where I grew up. So actually I've known his family as long as I can remember. Wow. But he, he doesn't, he's ne- never acted in anything before in his life before we started making movies and um and nixon wasn't his first role he was in he he did uh he he did uh, dream reaper for me and then he also did a couple of um like little promo videos and things like he had he had a couple opportunities to act before i asked him to be nixon and that and that first um that first uh performance as nixon in the uh in in dead shit Mm -hmm. isn't necessarily his best and it's not my best hogan either when you go back and watch those performances compared to the later versions of Nixon and Hogan, we really kind of figured out what made them funny and what made them like what to emphasize to really pull out the best laughs we mm. could out of the characters. But even in those early, early um, performances, he had this ability to just, he just knows how to act. Some people just intrinsically know how to act and they know how to do the, they know um, timing and they know, uh, they know inflections uh, on the, uh, of the dialogue, you know, when to, when to emphasize particular uh, words and when to, pause mm-hmm. for how long to pause to create comedic timing and things like that and that dude just has it and yet the thing about him is he doesn't think he does I, he psychs himself out every time and so even even sitting down to do these little one minute um thank you special thanks custom videos for the indiegogo campaign mm-hmm. he was freaking out thinking that he wasn't going to be able to do nixon and i had to, i was like dude you just you just are nixon like i know you can I know you can because I've seen you do it a thousand times and I don't have to like stop and tell you, raise your eyebrow, twitch your, twitch your arm this way. Look mm-hmm. at Hogan all crazy that way. You know, pause this long before you do your line, stutter, stutter these lines to make it funny. I'm like, you do that. 
that's what you bring to the table. I write some funny dialogue, and then you bring it to life. And he's like, oh, whatever you say, man. Let's just try this. And it was just, I mean, within two takes, we were there. We were wow. right back in it and cracking each other up. And just, I mean, like I said, those videos ended up being really special and really cool. And I think that the um, the guys that, that bought into those tiers mm. and got those special thanks videos, I think they they're, that's really special to them. Oh, and yeah. so I'm happy to offer that again in this Indiegogo campaign. Yeah. There's a few other tiers uh, in addition to that. Um, you can get a custom... Um, a custom uh, watercolor painting for me, which mm. is funny because I don't know how to paint. Oh. So I uh, it turned out good though. That's what I did last time. So. Yeah, you yeah. you came in at that tier, and I and I actually painted you a picture of you from uh, uh, from uh, Colonel Kill. Mm. Um, you're in your death spasms, <laughs> and uh, and that that's coming. From, I mean, I think that was the second watercolor painting I'd ever done. Oh, damn. I did one for another because I think I had four or five people that came in at that tier, mm. and so I was like, oh well, now I have to sit down and do it. <laughs> the reason that I put watercolor down as the uh, as the medium that I was going to use mm-hmm. for the uh, for that tier to do a custom Nixon and Hogan. I, I did Nixon and Hogan for everybody else, but for you, I thought it would be oh. special to do your your character from uh, from Colonel Kill uh, for you. But um, uh, the reason I chose watercolors because it's so cheap. Oh really? You know, you can buy watercolors for five bucks for the whole you yeah. know color. So if you mess one up, just so if I mess one up, I yeah. can toss it and keep. It. And I figured if I do four or five of these, eventually I'll I'll get one. But honestly, I never I didn't mess any of them. Up. Well, I won't say I didn't mess them up. I will say that I didn't redo any of them. <laughs> uh, I was happy enough with the uh, results uh, of each one that I kept them. So uh, um, I wouldn't say I'm a great painter, but uh, I I. I didn't hate it enough that I uh, threw threw them away. So that's another tier that you can come in at. Um, I also have a tier where you can get. Uh, I do the way I do the art for um, the comic book is I start off uh, with uh, pencils in an eleven. 11 by 17 notebook so i actually draw the oh, it's panels, all hand drawn hand draw the panels with pencil really big so it's like 11 by 17 really big and then that gets shrunk down uh when i do the uh i digitally i, I scan them and then digitally ink them uh and then digitally color them and do the lettering uh all digital as well all so right. but those original uh those original pages are 11 by 17 and two-sided and so i offer those as a tier also where you get all three comic books or you can also get one of these original 11 by 17 pencil uh pencil drawings which uh maybe you know 100 years from now after i'm dead might be worth some money yeah, because they're one of a ki- they're one of a kind oh, yeah. so you're getting an actual page from the comic book uh one of a kind it's hand drawn one of a kind and no no one will ever have have that again and it's double sided so you actually have two pages for the price of one so right. um so that's a tier but my i think the 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 highest value tier if you're just going for the entertainment mm-hmm. is we have uh we have a deal for thirty dollars where you get all three comic books 120 full color pages of comics and you get a hack movies dvd of your choice oh. uh, for only 30 bucks so that's that's what i think the, the, the highest value is although again those those nixon and hogan custom uh custom videos and all that other stuff are really cool too yeah um i i when i put together the indie go go i I'm, i only offer things that i think are cool that i would want if i was a, a hack movies fan um those are the those are the the offerings that i put up is like well that would be cool as a fan oh absolutely uh, the, so so that's what's going on with the with the indiegogo um right now so that's so we're, we're funding now um from uh 
like I said, I think we started September 17th and that goes till October 17th. And again, we're only asking for the $500 again. I always set the Indiegogo at the lowest possible um, fi- financial tier that they'll right. allow. $500 is the least you can ask for. Okay. If, they, if we could ask for $100, I'd only ask for $100 because I want to make sure the way I do my Indiegogo, like the way some people, a lot of people crowdfund comics mm-hmm. and the way it has to be done, and I might have talked about this on the previous podcast not a whole lot i'm trying trying not to um repeat myself from what we talked about last time but um the way most indiegogo comics are funded is you've got a you've got a writer or a creator who comes up with the idea and writes a script and has an idea he contacts an illustrator and he tells the illustrator um i want you to work on this comic the the illustrator reads the script signs on says i'll do it usually um that level of uh, of illustrator will if they if they're going to do the pencils and the inks they're going to charge about forty dollars a page and so if you do a comic book about as long as what um dead shit is Mm -hmm. you're talking five six thousand dollars before it's even colored you're talking five six thousand dollars so obviously the creator of these indie comics they they probably don't have a five thousand dollar check they can write right off the right out of the gate yeah so what they do is they end up putting together several promo pictures and maybe a full color cover and then they launch the campaign and the campaign is literally we need this we need these funds in order to even get our illustrator and our colorist started on the comic book. So what you end up doing is, say you start funding a comic book in Jan- say say a comic book launches in January, mm-hmm. and you throw your twenty five bucks at it or whatever in January, you might not get a comic book until the following January, wow. because they haven't even drawn the thing. Yeah. When it finished, like when it finishes, they're like, we hit our goal, fantastic. Now we're gonna draw the comic book, mm-hmm. and then you wait and you wait and you wait, and you finally get your comic book, and that is sort of just the way it is. Like I said, it's people don't have the kind of cash laying around. And the illustrators aren't going to do a year worth of work and not even know if they're ever going to get paid if the comic book doesn't sell anything. Which makes so, sense, too. Yeah. So it's not a, I'm not saying it's a bad thing or that it's a ripoff or anything, but there is a long wait between when you throw your money down and when you get your product. And, a lot, and sometimes you get caught up in that uh, hysteria and hype of, we got to help these guys hit their goal. And then, you know, seven months later, 10 months later, a year later, 14 months later, you get oh, a comic yeah. book in the mail and you're like, oh, I forgot this thing even existed. <laughs> What I like to do, the reason I said that if I could, I would even fund these things for $100, is I write and draw the whole thing. And what I, and as, again, as a fan, I don't want to wait around for a year f- to get my, my comic book. Yeah. So the way we do it, again, I look at things if, as, a, as a fan of hack movies and Strangeville, how would I want it? Well, I would want to get that thing as fast as I can. So what I do is I write and draw the entire comic book. And then I fund it. And what I did this last time was it, it was issue one, and then I sort of snuck issue two in at the very end mm-hmm. uh, of of the of, of the last campaign. And then now it's issue three. But I think from now on I'm gonna do I'm gonna do them as graphic novels. I'm I'm trying to experiment between doing them as single issues mm-hmm. and doing them as graphic novels oh, nice. because I could have done this whole thing as a 120 page graphic novel and it would only just now be coming out. Right. The problem is I started working on it a year ago. And I would have spent an entire year working on it and not been able to do anything but be like, hey, guys, I got another page done today. I'll show you a panel from it. I got, I I got, I wouldn't say nervous, but I got overexcited and was like, I'm going to split this thing up into three issues and then I can do campaigns all year long and blah, blah, blah. And I can get people, again, I'm just trying to get this thing to people as fast as I can. Absolutely. Um, So I fund these things for as little money as possible. That way... Everybody that comes on board, no matter if there's five people or 500 or 5,000 people, they know 
that they're going to throw me their money between September 17th and October 17th. Mm. And by the end of October, they'll have their their um, product in hand. They'll have their comic books, their movies, their posters, uh, you know, their uh, special videos, their um, um, their watercolor paintings, whatever it is. They'll that that stuff's all going to be delivered by the end of October. That stuff's all going to be delivered by Halloween, and so it's as quick a turnaround as I could possibly do it. I can't do it any faster than that. If I can yeah. do it faster than that, I would. So that's the whole point. The whole point of this, the reason that I only ask for five hundred dollars, is just so that everybody knows that like there's no possible way that you're going to get screwed out of this yeah. comic book because because again, if if things don't crowdfund, often the money gets just gets handed right back to you. Mm-hmm. Like you throw your money at it. Oh, it didn't hit its goal, and you, the money comes back because they haven't made. The the comic well i have made the comic so if five people buy the comic five yeah. people get the comic it's already printed and it's everything. A, yeah it's printed yeah. and ready to go now five thousand people buy the comic book i'm gonna have to run a second printing but the printing only takes about three weeks oh. so still everybody's gonna get their comic books by the end of october no matter how many you know if there's f- you know five hundred thousand people order this comic book you're getting the comic book uh, at the end of october period that's awesome um, so and that's just that's why i I fund the fund things the way that I do. It's already done. I do all the work myself. Nobody else has to get paid. Um, I, I eventually get it, get that check myself, and that's a cool check to get. But m- more important than money is me uh, keeping the legacy of Hack Movies alive and keeping these characters alive. And that's that's what I was going to talk about earlier. Is we actually have that homage mm-hmm. to uh, your scene in in Dead Shit. Uh, in the first issue of the comic book and I tried to draw you uh, just as tall as humanly I tried to make you as big and imposing as I could you know to try to reflect that uh, that real life um, um, imposing figure you are on mm-hmm. on, on film um, I put that in the in the, in the comic book so uh, I, I always tell my friends and family that I played the head zombie because I was the tallest and the strongest and the first to attack, you know. So I, I really think I was kind of the leader of that group. You were the lead, but you went down quick. Yeah, well, that's true. You did go down. I mean, I'm not denying that you were the leader, but yeah. the, the leader went down quick. That does lead me into, I had a few questions for you uh, later on, and I, I kind of want to lead into that one right now, uh, if, you, if you don't mind. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I was wondering, do you actually have any of the, like, b-roll or extra footage from any of the films that you shot i wish i did you know uh, for a lot of years i kept all the tapes we shot that stuff on mini dv mm-hmm, yeah uh, mini dv was like the successor to vhs like mini mini vhs was like what most people shot their um, home videos on all throughout the 90s you had those camcorders that were real big and bulky and had the side view mm-hmm. uh, the, and that and that was usually that, that was like vhs mini vhs is what that was and then in the early 2000s everything went digital with mini dv mm-hmm. mini digital videos what it was and they were little tiny cassettes and what you would do is you would shoot your movie on the little tiny cassette and then you would hook um an adapter up from the camera to your to your computer and you would actually uh you would have to you would you had a, a an editing program similar to what we use for the podcasting but it was for video oh, really? and you would hit and you would hit a, a capture button and literally the camera would fire up and start playing that tape but the tape would actually capture digitally to the computer so you would be saving the tape to your hard drive each time you hit that capture button it was a really like analog process it was a, it was a lot of a, you physically had to you know uh take the the footage off the tape and put it on your computer oh, wow. whereas today with the with the phones i mean you could literally shoot a movie on your iphone if you have an iphone you can shoot a feature film on the phone 
edit it in iMovie, which is free on your iPhone, and then upload it to YouTube from your iPhone. You don't ever have to touch anything. You can do all the work like digitally right there in the phone and then boom, put it right up to a wow. video, video website without ever transferring or doing any kind of weirdness. Um, and there have been feature films made on iPhones, that edited on iPhones, and then presented on, on iPhones. No shit. Wow. Yeah. Uh, so when you ask, do I have any of that mm-hmm. old footage, it's like for a lot of years I kept those mini DV tapes. Um, and uh, I do have a couple of external hard drives that have some footage from some movies on them. Like I pulled up a hard drive. Uh, I, I just moved, and I was pulling uh, some bo- some stuff out of boxes, and I had – uh, a, uh, an external hard drive that I didn't recognize and I put it in and it was a, an external hard drive I bought because I had a laptop that uh, that died mm-hmm. and I had somebody actually pull the uh, the hard drive off the um, off the dead laptop and funnel it all into a, an external hard drive and so when I pulled up that external hard drive it turns out that I actually have I believe I have footage all the footage I captured from Cockhammer and Nixon and Hogan Smoke Christmas. Oh, nice. So all that B-roll still exists. But the earlier stuff mm-hmm. was all on tapes. And for years, I kept those tapes in a drawer. But then eventually it got to the point I moved so many times. And I was like, I have no reason to keep these things, <laughs> keep all this stuff around. I'm never going to do anything with them. The movies are done. Mm-hmm. I can't, I've got the movies forever. The right, movies will yeah. never never go anywhere. But this, all these tapes and everything, there's just no reason for me to lug this around. And unfortunately, I threw a lot of them away. Oh man! So most of that old stuff from uh, from Cockhammer backwards is is all uh, gone the, gone the the wayside, gone the way of the dodo. Right. Well, just to re- preserve the performance, then I'll go ahead and just bring up. I was rewatching Dead Shit the other day, and it still bothers me a little bit deep inside because <laughs> I've told you this before. As we turn and I start running away from you after you've ripped my arms off, you, you attack me with the arms. And I go down to my knees, and then you attack me again, and I just face planted on the ground. It was like an amazing, like I, I would, ne- I was so scared to try it. And luckily, you only had that one take. You didn't make me reshoot that part of it. But my hands were behind my, my arms. My entire arms were behind my back because I had two different shirts on. That's the magic of movies. That's how we all rip my arms off. So I'm basically in like in a straight jacket with my arms behind me. And I just face planted on the ground as you guys are beating me, and I it, I stayed in character. I was moaning and groaning, and it was so cool. We kept cool. all those moans and groans in there. Actually. Yeah, hear, but it cuts to you, you guys. Each, yeah, <laughs> it cuts to us, but you hear all that. <laughs> <laughs> you hear all that just off just off camera where yeah. your head where your head's at. Yeah. and I kept all that uh, I kept all that audio in. Yeah. So um, I was gonna say if, if you had it, I was gonna try to get a clip of that and send it to some friends because they were asking about that. I, I keep telling that story to them. There. What What makes me laugh about that shot mm-hmm. is there's no reason that your hand should still be behind your back. We should have switched your hands to in front of you because you can <laughs> plainly and clearly see the outline of your arms. As I turned to run away. As you turned around and fell down. <laughs> There's no reason we shouldn't have stopped and switched you to the front so it, looked like, so it looks like a regular back. But that... That's the magic of hack movies. Okay. We, uh, we uh, Like you said, it was all one take. Mm-hmm. I, and remember... As we started filming you and we put you in the makeup and everything, and I said, well, we're going to have to, I don't know, I don't remember what I had written for that scene, oh, really? but it was not what we ended up doing. I know we were going to rip your arms off, mm-hmm. but all that, he's too tall, come over here and oh my God, and you, and you stomping grab us on my and feet, stomping yeah. on the feet and yeah. all that stuff, all that was ad-libbed. And I don't know if we did more than 
one or two takes. I know there's different angles. So we definitely did the take several times from several angles. Mm -hmm. But we may have only did any of those takes one time. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there very long that day. I mean, it was. It was in the middle of like, it was in the middle of like February, Mm -hmm. I think, when we were filming. And so we literally like, it would get like sort of barely light by like 10 Mm o'clock and then start getting dark around two (laughs) o'clock. So it was, I was like pissing me off that every day we would try to shoot. I'm like, we have no daylight. Yeah, because you're trying to shoot exteriors in February. In in Illinois. In the Midwest. Yeah. That's not going to fly, dude. (laughs) Uh, So a lot of that stuff we just did in one take. And also that was only. The second movie I made, so, you know, I wasn't, uh, I eventually developed a really, and it was right around Colonel Kill, where we had so much dialogue and so many characters and so many actors and had to shoot things from so many angles to get the coverage, to get the coverage of everybody. It was during the Colonel Kill shooting that I kind of figured my system out. I'll do a medium shot that kind of gets everybody, and then I'll come in and g- grab specific lines from people, and that'll, and then I'll grab um, reactions from the other people. And I learned that you didn't, because I would write those epic monologues. Oh yeah, you were you were subject. To I had two or three of those. Yeah, you're subject to yeah. In, in Colonel Kill, you 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 had uh, several epic um, monologues. Uh, did any of them go more than one page? Uh, yeah, the first one did oh, with man. the the twenty sided dice and. The... Oh man. More than one page. Mm-hmm. That's terrible. That's the actor's worst nightmare. Like, what? And it was an extreme close-up, which I was a little yeah. nervous of, too. But Well, I, I learned during having to do all that during mm-hmm. Colonel Kill that um, that I could cut to reactions and, and the back of the head and, and other people. You know, I could cut around lines so that uh, the actor wouldn't have to deliver the entire monologue in one take or even two takes. But we could break that thing up into sensible, smaller parts, and I could always cut to behind the head. Uh, reactions from other people and things like that that would allow us to edit those different takes together so that to give the actor the opportunity to like okay I, I've got to break this up into three mm-hmm. or three or four parts because I, I can't do all this at once and uh, and I, as the as the films progressed further and further into uh, Stiff Jobs and then Colonel Kill and then Smoke Christmas man I had that down to a science oh nice even if somebody had never acted before I was able to just be like don't which worry which was about a lot it. of us yeah I was able to be like don't worry about it just do these three lines so memorize these three lines real quick. Boom, boom, boom. You got them memorized? Okay, we're going to grab that. Done. Perfect. You know, two takes. Done. Now let's move on to these three lines. Can you do this, this, and this? Can you memorize that real quick? Boom, boom, boom. Got that. And then, and I would build these monologues quickly within one or two takes of, of each of these lines because I knew I could grab, I, I had these clever ways of grabbing coverage that allowed, uh, you know, with the magic of movie editing to make it seem as though the monologues were seamless. Yeah. And, and, and people have asked me that and will continue to ask me that for the rest of my life. How did you get these people to be able to say it? Because it's not just that they were long monologues, but there's a particular cadence in Strangeville. Everyone talks a particular way in Strangeville mm-hmm. and it's not normal. It's not easy, and and it's t- lots of tongue twisting, weird, um, lots of adjectives stacked on top of each other, and lots of weird ways of pro- pronouncing words and, mm-hmm. and adding peace to the end of every other word. And so, uh, you know, viewers, fans, uh, um, often ask me like, "How did you get these people to do all this stuff?" And I'm like, "Yeah, my people are good. You know, my actors are good. They're actors. What do you, what do you expect?" The reality being, of course, that I just I learned <laughs> that movie magic along the way of how to pick coverage the right way to uh, to be able to cover everybody. And you only have to do two or three. There are, there are people that I literally had to break it down to one sentence. You have to get 
one sentence out without fucking it up. Just say this. You got to do the whole thing or it's not going to make sense. You got to do yeah. one line. Okay, next okay. line. There was a poor guy in Stiff Jobs that he's just, I ended up actually cutting the monologue in half because he could not put one sentence together without jumbling the words around, fucking them up. And uh, he was just so nervous yeah. and everybody was waiting on him. And w- once, you know, you, you fuck it up two or three times, it's funny. Once you fuck it up 20 times, the pressure's on. You're mm. sweating. Everybody's looking at you. People are pissed off. They want to they wanna move on. And it's my job to just be like, just focus on me. Mm-hmm. Just get this line out. Okay, let's try to get half the sentence out. Can you just get, you know, these three words in this order? And then we'll move on, and we'll do the final three words of this sentence, and we'll get. It's my job to, you know, try to get them coax to, it out. Yeah, yeah, to just focus on. And, and the more nervous they get, and the more times they screw it up, the less confident they get. And I had one poor guy that it took us an hour to get the monologue out of him, and it, uh, it still sucks. It still doesn't. I, I like I said, I still had to cut it in half just to make it work. Wow. Um, and that didn't happen very often. Honestly, you guys were all all really, really good when it came to that stuff. Because who who would have known? You know, I'm like, oh, you want to be in a movie? And I'm like, yeah. sure. And neither of us really knew what the hell that meant until we were there and doing it and sort of learning with each other what it actually means to make a movie. And here I am with these asshole, dial, you know, monologues because I'm, you know, a big fan of Kevin Smith and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't have any money. And it doesn't cost anything to make somebody stand there and talk right. for 10 minutes. You know, there's like a rule in, in uh, there's a rule in writing. And it's the first rule I broke. And the rule is, uh, is uh, show, don't tell. And, and the rule of hack movies is you just talk about everything <laughs> and you don't really do much of anything. Yeah. <laughs> so all the really cool shit just is like we talk about that it happened at some point. And uh, so that that's, you know, the number one rule of hack movies is always tell, don't show. Mm-hmm. And I've actually had somebody be critical of that in the in the comic book. because I Already? I, I, yeah, yeah. The uh, the first couple of comic books I already have a couple of reviews. And uh, and one of the guys is like, uh, after a little bit of uh, too much uh, uh, telling instead of showing, I'm like, oh, man, that's that's the that's the point. That's what that's how you talk in Stranger. Really, you sit around and tell each other, you know, what just happened. Mm-hmm. That's actually still my favorite scene that I was ever part of. Was whenever I'm doing the, the long monologue about uh, how Colonel Kill came to be and like his origin stories and everything. Oh, it's a great. That's a and great then you scene. fire up that that music in the background yeah. over it, and it sounds like an old western kind of. Oh, like, that's, oh, that's a great scene. Yeah. you're like revealing all the, uh, yeah. you know, because well, actually, yeah, nobody knows what this character is at this point. <laughs> and that's the thing about hack movies that I think is so special is that I disarm people right away because it's it's so silly mm-hmm. and so dumb. It's just dumb stoner humor, but. I trick people because I really know how to write and I really know how to put together these like, cause Colonel kill, if you actually watch the movie and, and ignore the, the, the Dick and fart jokes and the potty humor and the masturbating and the overacting and everything. <laughs> you can't ignore the masturbating. It's, it's actually a co- coherent story. It has a beginning, a middle and an end. It has a, an introduction, a conflict, a climax and a resolution. Mm-hmm. And that was like the peak of the climax was like the character that one of our characters you actually knew the backstory of this character and why he was, uh, why his mother was able to bring him back from the dead because they actually were part of a warlock family and all these different. And I bring it, you know, I bring it all, uh, bring it all home mm-hmm. during that part. And then we run and we run after him. You know, the the climax resolution is you know we gotta go after him. And, and I love your death scene in that movie too. When you when you uh, we gotta be quiet. We gotta just uh, everybody. You know follow me and then i'll get up now and you run up and get your neck broken like an, in, like an instant 
<laughs> and that was a really PJ did a great job on that makeup oh, yeah. too. That that esophagus and squirting the blood like a, like a foot into the air. Yeah, uh, that's such a that's the that's the uh, watercolor painting I did is uh, with your neck broken, your esophagus um, poking out, and um, that was that was uh, that was good good stuff, man. That was a good movie. Oh, yeah. I uh, the only the only regret I have about uh, Colonel Kill is I think I could have done a lot better on the sound design. I think I could have um, layered in a lot more sound effects. Um, and had more, um, again, I, I learned all this stuff as I went. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't know anything about filmmaking. I didn't go to film school or anything like yeah. that. And uh, I didn't mentor on other feature films. I just threw myself into it. I didn't know any better. I said, we're just going to do this, and we're going to make a bunch of them, and I'm going to go to conventions and sell them, and it's going to be a whole universe. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I was too young to, to, to um, lack confidence. I just didn't know what I, I – I was ready to hike the mountain, and I had never hiked a mountain before. I didn't know how hard it was. I didn't know what the obstacles were even going to be. Yeah. And I just threw myself headlong into them. And one of the things I learned later, right around the Cockhammer era, was how important it is, No matter, because I used to say things like, well, that's what it sounded like. That's what it sounded like on set, so that's what it's going to sound like in the movie, because that's what it sounds like when a, when a, a head explodes. That's, that's what it sounded like. That's what it's <laughs> going to be. And it took me a long time to get that out of my head and to realize that you, if you build sound design on top of your visuals, you can, do, you can make a fantastic visual, but if you don't put the, the right sound effects with it mm. that may not sound natural, but they make, the, they make the scene better, because film isn't real life. And it doesn't matter what things look like or sound like in reality. What matters is that you're t- that the story is uh, conveyed th- in the way that you mean for it to be conveyed when you're writing it. And so there are uh, there are moments, even that moment when uh, Colonel Kill snaps your neck and the blood's pouring out of mm. your of your throat and everything. I, I don't think there's nearly enough sound effects. We could have done so much more with the sound the sound bed there and really had gurgling and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, and just like a louder snap or something. Yeah, a louder snap or a longer snap or a different. You know, just there's so many things we could have done that would have created a, a more of a depth and a richness that I put in late, the later movies. If you watch Colonel Kill, or I'm sorry, if you watch uh, Cockhammer and Nixon and Hogan Smoke Christmas, there's a much deeper, more rich sound bed to the scenes, and, and you actually hear things happen in film the way film is, is the way the film world works, not, well, that's what it sounded like on set, so that's what it's going to sound like. And so that's my only, my really, I, I really like the story. I love everybody's acting. Mm-hmm. I think PJ did a great job on the uh, special effects. Josh did a great job as Colonel Kill. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking about the same guy that plays Nixon, plays Colonel Kill. Yeah, and you might not think that Colonel Kill is a, a particularly a difficult role to play, but he only had one line in the whole movie, yeah. and so he had to do all of his acting and everything as uh, as a mute, and that's harder than you would think. Oh yeah, to be an imposing figure and yeah, to do and to come thing. off as a physical presence, like you said. Yeah. I mean, I'm a tall dude, and like he still like. He scared me sometimes. It's like, oh, he came shit. off as, yeah. as, as way more intimidating yeah. uh, than your character did. And you're way bigger mm-hmm. uh, than he was. But he had this thing. And, and getting up in the close-ups of him with the makeup and everything, he came off. I mean, he sold me on it. And that's the same guy that plays Goofy Nixon. Mm-hmm. So I was really happy with that, with you know everything about that movie except for the sound design. I think it's a, it's de- still definitely I consider it maybe number three. I think that uh, Cockhammer's the best. Um, Smoke Christmas comes right after that, and I think Colonel Kill is probably number three uh, of my favorite of, of the Hack movies. Nice. You said you had a bunch of. Uh, well, yeah, I got a few a more. more <clears throat> I don't want to keep you too late, but. Uh... I never got into the whole thing I was going to talk about. Oh. We can still get into it, but go ahead and ask me a question. Okay. <laughs> How did the process change, if at all, for the double-sized finale issue? Well, 
comic books kind of work the same way for me. Any creative endeavor that I get myself involved in, I, I don't take the time to learn how to do it before I start doing it, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. I throw myself headlong into it, and I learn all of the um, – I learn the process by, lear- by, by doing the process, if that makes any sense. So I didn't know how to make comic books. I had never I, – I, I used to draw – when I was younger, we probably talked about this in the last podcast. I used to draw in high school, but I never got very good. Mm-hmm. Never drew backgrounds, never did color, never even did really, I mean, other than a few pen drawings, I never inked anything. I just sketched in pencil. That's the most I, the furthest I ever got. Now, it was my lifelong dream as a little kid that I wanted to be a comic book artist. That was like my whole thing. I wanted to draw monsters. Just boom, draw monsters. That's all I want to do is draw monsters. Love monsters. Love monster movies. Love monster comics. Loved uh, all the, you know, the, the things that... As a, as, a, as a teenager, I was reading Image Comics and Dark Horse Comics while other people were reading superhero comics in Marvel and DC. Mm-hmm. So I was reading Spawn and The Max, and I was reading like um, Predator and Alien and Terminator uh, adaptations of, uh, of those 20th Century Fox properties in Dark Horse when other people were reading uh, about Superman and, and Batman and the X-Men. Now, I did love, I did love the X-Men, mm-hmm. not going to lie, and Batman, but... Really, I was into the monsters. I wanted to see the monsters, and, I, and that's what was that's what really drew me to Image Comics was that so many of those characters um, were monsters. The Pit was a monster. Uh, Wetworks were um, guys that had been like coated in like a golden some kind of material that that uh, made them almost invincible, and they fought werewolves and vampires. And uh, you know, Spawn is obviously a hell spawn, and then Violator was just this cool gigantic bug thing and a little fat clown um those all those monsters really just that's that's where i was in my head all the time and that's what i wanted to do but i ended up abandoning that that dream for whatever reason and so coming coming back to it um later in life and saying well i'm gonna i'm gonna make comic books and i'm gonna do the fucking art um that was a, a it was an interesting challenge and so my process for the first issue was very different from what I ended up doing for that double-sized finale issue. Um, the process was streamlined a lot. By the time I got to the end, mm-hmm. um, I started using a, a very large, um, what's basically just a, a block of graphite. It's like this really, it almost looks cartoony. It's this big, long, it's like 10 times the size of a pencil, and it's all graphite. So a pencil tip is graphite, and the rest of it is wood. Well, they make these graphite chunks um, that are just uh, that are all graphite and big big uh, silly looking uh, but what it is is it allows you to uh, grip the 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 graphite in such a way and to um, sort of throw the energy of a sketch down without um, you can't, you literally can't do detail work so where the first couple issues I would draw everything with a regular pencil and I would I would do my uh, initial sketch and then I would uh, fill it out. And I would put more detail into it before I scanned it and did the inking process. Mm-hmm. Well, by the time I got to the third issue, I had figured out that if I use this big graphite pencil, I can really create the shapes and I can create more. I think that the third issue actually has more dynamic poses and more energy in the even the camera angles and everything. And the, and the weird, I, I started to mess with... Um, not necessarily fisheye lens, but there's kind of a warping to the to the visual um, camera of the of the shots in uh, in the third issue. And the way I was able to achieve that was to initially lay down um, 
all of the uh, layouts, which is basically when you when you look at your script and you see that you've got um, you know seven panels on this page, and this is what goes in each panel. Mm-hmm. Well, you sit down with your graphite pencil and you just lay out, literally put the energy down into the uh, into the panels. Is very rough. I mean, very rough sketches, but you're 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 creating. I was able to create the poses with you can't even call them stick figures. It was literally just just um, scribbles on the page, but it was something that I I could see because I was in my head. I knew what I wanted, mm-hmm. and whereas uh, just going in with a pencil and, and drawing the uh, the figures and poses um, in the first couple issues it felt a little stiffer. The poses felt a little stiffer. Whereas whenever I was able to go in with the graphite pencil and lay in just these scribbles, I was able to, to move the limbs in such a way and, and warp the bodies in such a way in my mind that when I laid in the, the pencil details later and then uh, scanned it and did the inks, I felt like I got more, I felt I got like I got more out of the poses um, and the facial expressions and all that than I did in the previous issues. So adding that phase into the comic i think makes the the third issue a better better visual um representation of the strangeville universe than the first two issues uh, but i you know again i'm i'm learning learning about the learning about color theory and i'm learning about inking and the different because all these techniques they take years and years and years to learn oh, yeah. and i'm and i'm just like going at it just like i'll learn as i go and uh the, the reason i love i love to do that is it can be overwhelming learning any new anything new it can be overwhelming with there's there's so many different facets of a of a new skill to learn and sometimes you don't even know where to start. Yeah. Well, for me, the way I do it is I write the script, and then that's what I have to have. This is a scene where uh, Nixon bangs a, a zombie girl. I have to draw that. There's no way around it. That's the scene. So I need to draw a bathroom. I don't know how to draw a bathroom. Well, you're gonna have to figure it out. Uh, so now you're figuring out how to draw backgrounds, how characters fit into backgrounds, how the shading and shadows lay in a, in an interior cramped space like a bathroom where the light reflects off of, it, where where that might be something in, in uh, illustration theory or, or lighting theory or color theory or all these different um, all these different tools that are part of creating comics. I may not know to look at how light bounces um <laughs> Because it's just it's out there. It's a tool you can use. Mm-hmm. But why am I going to worry about that right now? I'm, I'm I'm focused on this thing over here. By forcing myself into these different scenes and scenarios, I had to learn how those scenarios worked. Um, because and it's literally like, okay, I drew it, and that's not what that. It doesn't look like it's supposed to. So what am I doing wrong? And I would have how to can just, I fix it? How yeah. do I fix it? And so I would look at other. I would look at it. I would look at the actual. What one of the things that I did with Dead Shit, which is really I won't be able to do for um, comics that aren't direct adaptations of the movies, mm-hmm. is I literally would bring up the movies on my computer. Oh, really? Okay, that I was one of the other questions the I had. Yeah. What, what was the question? Uh, whether you went back to visit the the actual movie itself before you uh, were inking some of the stuff. So. Not only that, I would take screenshots of actual scenes and the camera angles and how the lighting worked, what the colors were, what colors the characters were wearing, uh, what the character uh, colors of the background or the interior of the house looked like and all that stuff. And I would take that into, obviously I wasn't trying to mimic it 
exactly because I wasn't just drawing storyboards of the movie, but I, I did reference that. I referenced, I referenced that a lot, actually. And so um, and that helped me a lot in trying to figure out how to solve these uh, illustration issues that, uh, that a, a guy who's been maybe went to uh, art school or, or has been uh, drawing comics for 10 years, they already know these, these rules and they, mm-hmm. and they know these tools and, and how to uh, solve these issues. Whereas I just have to do it scene by scene, by panel by yeah. panel, basically. It's like, okay, what's next? How do I do this? How do I do that? And it's a lot of trial and error. It's a lot of like, that, didn't, that doesn't work. That looks like shit. Okay, let's try this. Let's try that. Let's try this. And I do reference a lot of other comic books also. It's like, okay, nothing I'm doing is working. I'm going to find some panels of a comic book that I, you know, I'm going to look this, I'm going to look this up on the internet. Somebody has done a scene like this before. Oh, I see how that's done. And uh, a lot of times I would have to just look up line art, like literally just oh, yeah. break it all the way down to what does the line art of a hand look like? Cause this hand is just not working. I can't get this angle. The way I've got this hand, the foreshortening and how this, uh, how the, the fingers are supposed to, you know, uh, taper from this angle. I cannot get it. Nothing I do is working. <laughs> and so I would literally look up line art of hands until I found that angle. Like, oh, there it is. That's how you do it. And it would just be the inked, you know, just the black and white, just an inked version of that of a hand from that angle. And I'd be like, okay, that's how it's done. And then I would, and then I would be able to, to um to uh, accomplish it to a to a degree you know i'm not very good but i get i get this i get i get to the acceptable i get you know I, i'm not at the good phase i'm not great i'm yeah. not exceptional i mean that's how the movies were too so. yeah i'm at acceptable that's exactly right <laughs> yeah. that's, and it's for i mean it's not a knock on you yeah yeah no, it's for yeah. the it's for those same reasons mm-hmm. i don't go into these things knowing what i'm doing and it's part of the it's part of the charm of the strangeville universe this is what i always say to people is the, the i'm not in this to make a bunch of money i'm not in this to be famous my big takeaway from the strangeville universe 15 years strong hopefully i get to do 15 more and then 15 more after that uh, hopefully i get to do this for a good long time but at the end of the day all i want strangeville universe and the legacy of of all of this kevin strange art to be is that anybody can do this if i can do it so can you because i don't know how to do any of this <laughs> I'm not classically trained in any of this. I'm not mentored by an expert in any of this stuff. And if you have a burning passion to be a writer or to be a novelist or to be a screenwriter or to be an actor or to be a movie director or to be a comic book artist, you can do it. It's the, the, you just, all it takes is tenacity and dedication, focus and the time to do it and you got to make the time i tell people all the time i don't play video games i i largely if i watch a movie or a tv show it's while i'm working and i put i put in 16 hours a day i start my day at 7 a.m and and by about 11 o'clock at night i fucking fall uh my face plant into my bed and i start it all over the next day and i love it i try try not to take any days off and i just try to i just go i just i run full speed ahead throughout through my life and i try i try to uh get as much art made as much mediocre art <laughs> made as I can in, in the hopes that I inspire people that are going to be much better than me, much more talented than me. Cause none of the, none of what I do is talent. I have no talent. I have no talent in anything. Maybe I have a little talent as a writer. If you're going to if you're going to force me to, uh, to, to, to give myself a little bit of credit, I would say I'm an okay writer. I got some game in that department. Yeah. Maybe I got a little game as an actor and, Character creation too, like that. I mean, that's part of the writing, but it's yeah. also like, yeah. You know, but th- those came out of your head. All, man. all the other stuff, 
is pure tenacity. It's pure refusing to take no for an answer. All that other stuff, I'm not very good at it, but I refuse to be defeated by the universe. The universe, you know, when you... Uh, uh, art is the act of going up against the universe and saying, I'm going to create something brand new that didn't exist before. And the universe says, no, you're not. And the act of creating art is defying the, the balance of the universe and, and putting a dent in it and forcing the universe to accept that there's something new uh, that's now been introduced into it. And, um, you know, that it's, it's very difficult to do. And, and I, but I love it. And I, and I, and I, I love being able to inspire that in others. When somebody comes up to me at a convention and says, I use your films as, as my film school. I use all your behind the scenes and your commentaries as my film school to learn how to make movies. That's better than any money you could. You could walk up and write me a check for $1,000. And that doesn't uh, get me off as much as uh, the kid who, um, who, who was so inspired by my art that he went and became a way better director than me and makes, makes way better movies than movies than me and he's successful and he actually has a career in it that, he, that can pay his bills mm-hmm. and take care of his family it's like i helped do that i helped birth that artist that to me is worth more than anything that's awesome so that kind of lead into one of the other questions i had do you ever see licensing out hack movies or hack uh strangeville or anything like that to another artist if they would ask or like at some point down the road, whenever you're not doing it as much anymore yourself, maybe. Well, it's interesting that you say that because I'm, I've actually started a real concerted effort to try to get um, the the characters of Strangeville and the stories of Strangeville picked up by Hollywood. Um, I'm actually actively working on um, pushing for a uh, a Nixon and Hogan cartoon, and I'm trying to get involved. I'm trying to get in touch with the right people. It's really difficult. Um, a lot of uh, production companies don't want to, they won't accept unsolicited um, material. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to come at it from an angle like, just because I'm sending you DVDs and comic books of stuff that's art, this is my intellectual property. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to get you to do this. I'm just trying to get, it's, it's a, as a proof of concept, I want you to see that these characters are funny and they work. If you want to cut a deal with me and do an animated series, we'll write that completely separately. We'll get an agent. I'll write it. We'll contract it. There's no nothing that I'm showing you is something that because what they're, the fear, set in stone or anything. Yeah. The, the fear of, of Hollywood is if you write a script and send it to them and they read it and say no thanks, but ten years later something comes out similar to it, you can sue them, and that happens a lot, and they get sued for a lot of money. And so over the last twenty years or so, the uh, it's sort of the, the they kind of cl- have closed the doors to unsolicited material you try to send them a script they're going to say fuck that i'm not even going to look at it i'm hmm. going to send it right back to you unopened because we don't accept unsolicited material and if it's unopened you can't say we stole your idea and uh so what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to angle it to where it's like you can't steal these ideas they're already done yeah this is i'm just giving you a, it's like i met you on the street and i handed you a comic book this is my comic book here you go it's funny um what i'm trying to do is 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 present uh production companies with the proof of concept that nixon and hogan are funny that it already exists, yeah. that you can see Strangeville is a, is a funny place and these characters. Uh, we're talking about the way I'm trying to um, sort of frame it these days is Rick and Morty is um, comedy science fiction mm-hmm. for adults, uh, animated uh, comedy science fiction for adults, really adult humor in that, in that show. Oh, for sure. I want to 
show them that Nixon and Hogan can be the horror version of that. They really could. The comedy horror version, like adult-oriented animated series. And so I'm trying to put that stuff in the hands of the right people to really get that going. And the question is, say um, an adult swim or somebody um, calls me back and says, we like it. Uh, let us let us buy uh, let us buy the option. Let's buy a let us buy a five year option, and and maybe we'll we'll develop something. The question is, do I pull a Sylvester Stallone? I don't know if you know the history of uh, Rocky, where he said I have to be the star. I, I wrote the screenplay, and people they were trying to buy a screenplay for fifteen grand, thirty five grand. I think they got up to like seventy five grand, and he wouldn't sell it unless they signed him on to play Rocky. Really? They kept telling him like, dude, you're ugly. You, you can't talk very well. You got a weird thing with your lip um but but we love the screenplay Mm -hmm. we want to buy you're a great writer but you're not going to be the actor you think you are and he kept and he kept saying no he kept saying i'm not gonna you're not gonna make my movie unless i get to star in it and eventually i think he took way less money and because eventually they were like well okay fine if you're gonna get it we're not gonna pay you shit and he was like cool let's do it and then he ended up winning the or he was was he nominated? I think he was nominated for best actor and, and it won best he picture. won best screenplay. Mm-hmm. Did he won best did they win best picture or best mm-hmm. screenplay? Uh best picture. Okay, so yeah. and then he was nominated for actor, but yeah. didn't win, right? Correct. I mean that's him, you know, sticking to his guns. So yeah. the question is, does Kevin Strange stick to his guns if Hollywood comes calling and says and your question was, Do I license out this mm-hmm. stuff? And you were kinda of talking on a smaller scale. Oh uh, yeah. Like, would would you let somebody else draw it? I'm saying if Hollywood comes knocking and says we want to adapt this, but we don't want you to have anything to do with it. Am I going to say, no, I have to be the showrunner on that animated series? Because I can tell you right now, after 15 years, I'm ready. Yeah. I'm ready. If I get the call tomorrow and they say, we like it, and come come down here, move move down to Atlanta, which is where uh, Adult Swim is based, move down to Atlanta and, and set up shop and, and make, a, make a writer's room and uh, start working on the first season, I would do it in an instant because um, – I'm ready. Yeah. I could do that. I know I could do that, and I know I could uh, knock it out of the park, and I know I could make one of the best animated series of all time. I know I know that uh, in my heart of hearts that a Nixon and Hogan animated series could be the next South Park. Oh, easily. Um, and so the question is, would I allow them to just buy it from me? Would I license the, the characters to them, basically? Would I take a check for them to do it without me? And the answer, I think, is probably yeah. Yeah. As much as I would, as much as I think I would be the the right man for the job, if they came to me and said uh, and said we like the story, uh, we like the characters, we like the proof of concept stuff you sent us, um, but we don't want you involved. We just want to buy your stuff. I think I would go ahead and sell it to them. Why would I do that? Because I know I can make more characters. Because I know that it'll have to say based on uh, characters created by Kevin Strange, and that's just going to funnel gonna, people back to that's you. That's going to funnel people back to me, and I know because it's not just about Nixon and Hogan. It's Terrence and Parander. It's the uh, it's the um, the ensemble uh, weirdos from from Colonel Kill. It's it's the uh, weird band from Dream Reaper. It's 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 the uh, it's the um, troop of, uh, of of church the church choir from uh, uh, Nixon and Hogan Smoke Christmas. I, I can do these characters all day long. I can make up these characters. Uh, you know, like you said, character creation mm-hmm. is one of my strengths. And it doesn't scare me if Hollywood comes knocking on the door and says, we're going to buy Nixon and Hogan from you. I'm going to cash the check, bro. <laughs> I'm going to cash the check and make the next Nixon and Hogan. And except now, People are going to now whenever I send the package off to Hollywood, I'm going to say, and I'm the creator of Nixon and Hogan. That's now one of the you know best uh, animated comedies on TV. So will I license out the characters? I have no problem with that because I can always make more. I can always make cool characters.
years. That's not that's not a it's not a fear I I, uh, I have that I wouldn't be able to do that because I've also written twenty novels in between those fucking uh, movies and these comic books, and all those <laughs> on all those novels have characters, oh, yeah. weird characters and, and like, stuff. And you got comic adaptation just out the wazoo. Yeah, right? I've, I've actually um, <laughs> I actually uh, I'm sending one of my novels out to. Um, video game companies like Rockstar Games and, and those different uh, Blizzard and those different game game companies uh, because I have a, one particular um, novel uh, that I believe that universe would make a kick-ass open world uh, game similar to um, Red Dead Redemption um, where you just except it's a it's a it's an apocalyptic wasteland where you wander around and, and it's that so that so that would be I guess similar to Fallout mm-hmm. in that it's an apocalyptic wasteland but Fallout is a very specific type of wasteland. Right. This would also be a very specific, much different type of wasteland with uh, mutants and uh, and monsters, but mutants and monsters that you have to interact with. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas many of the mutants and monsters in the Fallout series is just they're just there to kill. They're fodder, and then you go into the um, you go into the bunkers, and that's where the, the real, remaining cities, yeah, yeah, civilization. That's where the sort of story story is. But when you're out there in the wasteland, you're just kind of blowing away giant um, cockroaches. And yeah, like rat ants. And- yeah. <laughs> whereas in my in my uh, universe that uh, that I, that I think would make a, a good adaptation, uh, it's much more uh, personal. You you you. It's it's again my. When I was a kid, I just loved the monsters. Well, in in even in the once you get into the third issue of uh, of uh, of Dead Shit, you'll notice that almost all the characters have mutated into monsters. And so I'm basically <laughs> just drawing monsters versus monsters by the end. And the same thing was true with Nixon Hogan Smoke Christmas in the third act. Once they end up in the basement trying to rescue Santa Claus from Sasparilla the Weed Witch, almost everybody's a monster. Almost everybody gets transformed. Even Nixon Hogan transformed themselves into monsters uh, by the end. And you'll notice that that's a theme of mine is that I try to get to everybody's a monster as fast as I can because I think <laughs> monsters are way cooler than people. So so that uh, it's Vampire Guts in Nuketown is the novel. Yeah, still and, one of my favorites of yours. Have you read that one? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that's the one I think would make a really awesome open world because everyone's a mutant in that world, and sometimes their mutant abilities are latent and they aren't uh, apparent immediately. Mm-hmm. So the whole idea is the main character's name is Guts because he can actually um, manipulate and, and control his intestines. And so he often rips his stomach open and has these basically tendril-like um, uh, intestines that, that perform actions for him. That's like his mutant power. Um, so oftentimes Guts runs into people he doesn't know what their mutant power is yet and then it, it becomes manifest later and so it's I, I see I see it as like um, I see the, the um, video game adaptation of, of uh, Vampire Guts as more of a uh, more of a Silent Hill than a uh, Fallout I guess it would be like Silent Hill meets Fallout mm-hmm. where it's much more um, whereas Silent Hill is more character oriented it's it's um, there's a lot of horrific things that happen and monsters that are in it, mm-hmm. but it's very much a story about a person. Yeah. Whereas, very linear too. Like, yeah. 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 You walk through the story. You're being mm-hmm. told a story as you walk through and you're learning about um, the, the town of Silent Hill and its history and its past and the people that live there. And that's what the vampire, it would be open world like Red Dead Redemption or, or um, Fallout. But every uh, sort of mission you go on teaches you more about this weird post-apocalyptic mutant uh, um, 
world that, that Guts lives in. And you have to meet more people. In the, and sometimes they're, they're evil and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're both. Sometimes it depends on how you interact with them, whether or not they're going to freak out into mutant monsters and try to kill you or whether they're going to freak out into mutant monsters and work with you and help you. And uh, so anyway, I'm sending that novel off to a bunch of uh, video game companies to, again, try to get them to adapt that into a, uh, into a video game. Awesome. Now, now, if you told me, they called me and said, we love it. We love the idea. We love the characters. And we want you to, to cr- be the, the creator behind the video game. I'm probably going to be like, I, I don't know if I can make a video game. I don't know if I, I've got the chops to make an animated series. 100%. Oh, yeah. I might let the, I might let the experts, the video, cause I haven't actively played video games in 20 years. So to sit down and actually create a video game on that scale I would leave that to an expert. I would leave that to the people that do that for a living. I would try to hire the Red Dead guy. Get the Red Dead guy in here. <laughs> How much do we have to pay him? Yeah. Give him, cut him a check for ten million. Make him make the game, <laughs> and then I would just sort of be the creative, uh, uh, creative consultant. There you go, yeah. I would rather be the creative consultant on a video game adaptation than to actually do the video game myself. So there's that. That's, that's, awesome. uh, again, I've, I've got lots of irons in the fire. I've got a 15-year career, lots of characters, lots of uh, different avenues to go from more films to television to animated series to uh, video games, uh, more comic books. There's so many things I want to do with this universe because I think it's special and I think that it's. Uh, I think it touches people. When people sit down and give it a chance, it touches their lives and it touches their funny bone in a way that is is not common. Yeah. And I and I believe in it. And I believe that if the right people with the right money um, see this stuff, that they can really uh, really bring it to more people, bring it to a much broader audience. And I've never been that way before. For 15 years, I've never said. I've always said it's just for, it's for a small group of people. Mm-hmm. But I but the older I get, the more I think this does have broad appeal oh, yeah. the There's potential's a, there man it really just is. just a few things that need to be tweaked and changed you know if i'm going to be on network television alongside rick and morty they get away with a lot of raunchy stuff but there's a line you can't cross that line mm-hmm. i'm totally willing to do that with nixon and hogan in an animated series mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be balls to the wall pornographic and i do that kind of stuff because i can yeah because I know I'm just doing it myself. You know, when I do these comic books or these movies, the reason I push those boundaries and those lines of acceptable taste, and the reason I do that is because why not? Yeah. Nobody's going to stop me. This isn't. Um, there's no comic book, you know, um, comic book code that I can't break. That you know, otherwise these when you're com- self-publishing, yeah, yeah, these comics won't be in stores. They're not in stores anyway. <laughs> in fact, I sent this comic book to about 15 or 20 comic book stores and never heard anything back about carrying it. Oh, seriously? Um, yeah. Oh. I need to go back. What I'm going to do is I'm actually going to go in um, salesman style and walk in in person and meet the manager of every one of the stores that I sent the uh, the comic book to and try to get them to uh, set up a display and sell the comics. But if they don't because it's too too graphic, I, I totally understand that. Yeah. And I can start to dial that back. If, it, if they tell me we like it, it's cool, we would love to carry your stuff, but we're not going to carry the stuff that's that's – too pornographic hmm. then in the next the next comic and the next comic after that i can start dialing that stuff back because again the older i get the more i recognize that it's not the boundary pushing that makes these characters special that's just part that's that's i just do it because i can mm-hmm. it's convenient it's there it's humor that i like but these characters will work no matter what these characters will work i don't know if you if you um you know the Toxic Avenger and and uh, and and Trauma and Lloyd Kaufman. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, you're your personal friend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Lloyd actually took the Toxic Avenger, which is a hard rated R movie full of titties and blood and cussing and ultra violence, and he actually turned it into the Toxic Crusaders Saturday morning television show, where where uh, the Toxic Avenger became uh, Toxie with a mop, mop with yeah. Moppy, and he literally took those characters and turned them into kid fare, and it was because and it worked. I owned those toys when I was a kid. I loved that animated series, and it worked because Toxie as a character was special no matter what, whether he was hard R, um, graphic violence, violence and sex on a, in a movie, or rated G in a, in a Saturday morning cartoon. He works. He works because people relate to his character. And I know that the, the characters that exist in, in my universe are that strong, that they can be that versatile, that we could do a Saturday morning rated G version of Nixon and Hogan and it would work. And it, just as much as it works with the hard R, uh, raunchy stuff. And, and I know it will work universally. And so that's why I'm sort of pushing harder and harder for it to be uh, created for a broader, more mass audience. That's awesome. Yeah. You got any more questions? Uh, everything else you kind of touched on during your uh, answer from the previous questions, I think. So I think we're all good for that. Awesome. Well, I'm good. I, yeah. I have a lot more stuff I could talk about, but I think yeah. we could we can save, save it for a future day. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, yeah, yeah, anybody that's listening now, if you haven't already um, uh, gone to the Indiegogo page and, uh, and picked one of those awesome tiers that we talked about earlier in the show, do that now and, uh, and get yourself some of these comic books before it becomes a... a, a international you know uh, animated smash hit that's right um get in on the ground floor yeah when it when it's when it's only for the few um these are really cool if you're a, you know if you're a fan of hack movies mm-hmm. if you're a fan of, uh, of of andrew's acting or, or my directing uh these comic books are really cool um adaptations that i'm having a lot of fun with and i think they really capture like i said these these characters are universal and i think they work in any medium i think they, they work because they're funny because they're relatable because i think the i think the the the, the really poor stoner uh community like the, the ghetto stoner community is really funny to make fun of mm-hmm. because I've lived it. Yeah. I've lived it my whole life. I've been on food stamps. Um, I've, I've had the conversation where it's like, you wait, my last pizza roll. My mom is going to come home from her, the, you know, the double she's working uh, tonight. She's going to be pissed because we ain't got no more pizza rolls. I've lived that life. You know, I've, I've had not $1 to my name. I've had to, uh, I've had to, you know, walk three miles to a Burger King because my friend's brother worked there and knew that he'd give us free hamburgers because we weren't eating any other way because the ice box at home was completely empty. I've lived that life, and I know that 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 then that's why I know that that Nixon and Hogan work as characters. They're relatable. Yeah. They're relatable for anybody who's lived that ghetto poor life, yeah. they, or known somebody who has, or, or known somebody that has. It's, there's so much humor to be mined from that. There's so much. Uh, um, you know, it's it's just very relatable. But anyway, go ahead and grab that. Uh, go ahead and grab those comic books. We're funding through October seventeenth. You get and, and you get those comics immediately thereafter. Uh, the more the more backers we get, the more money we make. It just that makes it uh, that gives me more confidence to keep pushing the comic books and keep bringing new new characters. The next comic book that I'm going to do is actually going to be a brand new character that's uh, never before been in the Hack Movies universe and really will touch on the town of Strangeville itself. There Ooh. hasn't been a whole lot of uh, yeah. of. Uh, of, of Focus put on the actual town of Strangeville, the police, the mayor, uh, how the town operates. Yeah, the, being the, so, a map, maybe, yeah, of some being, sort. Yeah. Being so corrupt and weird and, and, and having so many supernatural things happen and monsters happen in the town. Um, I'm actually going to bring all that in. You know, all that's going to 
be contextualized in the next comic book. Unless, you know, if nobody buys the comic, there's no reason to make another comic. So everybody needs to jump in, grab this comic, show me that you care, show mm. me that you uh, that you want more, and uh, and let me get back to work and, and make you guys another comic. And again, it's guaranteed these crowdfunding campaigns. I know a lot of people have been burned where they throw their money at something and they never get it. Uh, these are finished, printed comic books. They will come to you in the month of October guaranteed. So that's, that's about all I have to say about that. Buddy. Awesome. Let's get out there and get those stretch goals unlocked. Yes, sir. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and sign off. Uh, hopefully you can come back again some other time. We still have a lot of stores to tell. And, oh, yeah. Uh, you're a favorite guest already. So uh, We'd, uh, we'd, we, you know, we love talking about hack movies. Oh, yeah. We could sit around and talk about hack movies all night. We sure could. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. This has been the A to Z Show. You can find us on Twitter at the A number two Z Show. Go ahead and send us some uh, love, some questions, some comments. Uh, if you have questions for Kevin, we do have uh, an official word that he's going to be back here soon. So if you have any questions or comments for Kevin, go ahead and send those in to him. We'll save them for that episode. Thanks for listening, and be sure to check us out. Later.